1 Peter chapter 4, and we'll, we'll uh, uh, overlap a little bit of, of things that we, we covered last time in part, and then we'll cover them more and, and try to finish up this chapter, chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. Reading from verse 11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so he says, whoever speaks is to do so as to one who is speaking the utterances of God. He's talking about the speaking gifts here, but this word utterances, in most translations, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's called uh, um, oracles, the oracles of God. I want to encourage you and exhort you and, and uh, uh, really, really say this is something you ought to do is to get so into the Word of God, so permeated with the Word of God every single day of your life, every day. It is unlike any other book. There are promises in the Word of God over and over again, promises in the Word of God. God, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, in Psalm 1, Psalm 112, verse 1 and 2, Psalm 119, over and over again. The promises that happen when we are in the Word of God every day make the Word of God our daily meditation, Psalm 119, verse 97 onward through 100. It talks about the blessing of getting in the Word of God. When, if you are a master of this book, of the Word of God, of the Scriptures, you will never, ever lack anything that you will ever need to explain things. And, and in fact, this just came up yesterday. Um, there, there, was, there was an occasion where, where uh, somebody wrote to me and they said, you know, we, we saw your little video that you're going to be coming out with because tomorrow we're la- I'm launching a series every Monday night for many weeks uh, where I'm taking on Origin of Life, these so-called experts in Origin of Life. And it, it's going to debut on YouTube at 8 o'clock, 8 p.m. Central Time tomorrow. But but it, it'll stay on on YouTube in perpetuity, sort of, uh, uh, however long YouTube lasts, or, or, or until they throw me off YouTube. And, and um, uh, so, so it'll be up there. But one person wrote to me, he said, you know, I, 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 just, I just want you to know that, that you, you shouldn't come too hard on people. You, that be sure you act like a Christian. And so how, how, do, I, how do I address something like this? And, and um, for me... I just go right back to the Word of God. Am I being too, too aggressive here? Am I being too aggressive? And then I just thought back to a number of different verses. And so, for example, Jesus, Jesus addressed the Pharisees. And he talked about, woe to you, woe to you Pharisees. He called them whitewashed tombs. He addressed the lawyers and he blamed them. For, these are the religious leaders in, in Luke chapter 11. He blamed them for the death of all the prophets, all the prophets, from the first prophet in, in, in Genesis to the last prophet uh, uh, that's listed in the Hebrew scriptures, which is Zechariah. Uh, he, he listed them for, for, for all the deaths. And then in, in Luke, in, in, in Luke uh, um, 13, 32, he, he, he just has a railing judgment again. He says, he, he uh, um, lists these things. So, so you, you see what I did is I went right back to the Word of God, and then I went to Paul. Very strong words that Paul had, and I just listed out these verses. John the Baptist, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 3, he says to the Pharisees who are coming for baptism, they're coming for baptism, and he said, who war- you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
How would you like to go for baptism and then somebody say that to you? This is John the Baptist who said that. You brood of vipers. And then in, in Peter, in the book of Acts, he says, may your money perish with you to Simon. So I could go back to the scriptures and to say, compared to Jesus, compared to Paul, compared to Peter, compared to John the Baptist, I'm an angel. You, you know, I, 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 there's no ad hominem attacks with me. What I'm coming at is the work. I'm just saying they just don't understand the chemistry. They don't understand what's going on here. When you can go back to the Word of God, then you have peace. Then I had peace because I was wondering, am I too hard? Is this series going to be... But compared to the prophets in the New Testament, compared to Jesus himself, very passive. I'm very passive in comparison. So I wrote back to him. I said, I want you to read these scriptures. And I want you to say, who is kinder to the people who have come against them? Jim Tour or Jesus Christ Paul the Apostle, Peter the Apostle, or John the Baptist. Which one? Jim Tour on this side, these, these New Testament speakers on this side. He wrote back to me, he says, you won. You won. He says, he says I have nothing to say to you anymore. And, and uh, this is what happens when you know the Word of God, it brings in great peace. He says, you speak. Whoever speaks is to do so as he was speaking the utterances or the oracles of God. When you speak the things of God, it gives you enormous power. Ladies and gentlemen, become masters of this book, masters of this volume. This is what we, we, it, it talks about in the book of Ecclesiastes, becoming a master of this book. You guys who are studying theology and, and, and want to learn all of this, if you know this book and know it very, very well, that you have studied this book every day of your life, it will have enormous power. So much comes from the study of scriptures. This book, the, the very utterances of God, when, when, when uh, um, in, in the scriptures it, it, says, it says that uh, uh, when, when, uh, when there was a defense being made in the book of Acts, there was a defense being, being made um, by Stephen at his defense. He said in Acts 7.38, this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angels who was speaking to him on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai, who was with our fathers, and he was receiving living order oracles to pass on to you. Moses received living oracles to pass on to us. This is now written in the scriptures. Each one of these prophets has received living oracles from God to pass on to us. The words in this book are better than any words of any philosopher ever. I would rather quote one sentence from this book than, than paragraphs of philosophers. This book has power. Every week I share the word of God with somebody. Every week. And every week it's just one scripture verse after another. I sat with one of my postdocs yesterday, took him out to lunch, and shared the scriptures with him and just, just led him to the Lord. I mean, here's a, a, a guy from China, so he has no real background in any of this. And as I'm describing this, you know, he says, he says yeah, this resurrection, that's hard to believe. I said, yeah, it's hard to believe. A physical resurrection. And then I took him through what the Bible says about the resurrection. And I knew, as I was describing this, I knew that this man, who's a PhD, already has his PhD in chemistry, I knew that within minutes he will be confessing the Lord. He will be confessing the resurrection within minutes from my telling him about this. How did I know? Because the scripture says so. Because this word has power. And sure enough, when, we got, when I got done, he prayed the sinner's prayer and he said, I, I, I can't describe this feeling. I've never had this feeling before. 
And I know, I know what he's talking about. I see before my eyes people getting saved by the power of the word of God. This word is powerful. These are oracles that we speak forth. This is what he's saying. He says that whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances or the oracles of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So if you're active in, in the gifts of service, you, we have to have this, 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 these, uh, this ability to serve Jesus Christ. You will get absolutely worn out. You will get worn out in Christian service if you do not learn how to pull upon yourself the power from God. Lord, I pray that you love these people through me. You know, it can be easy to serve people who are lovely, but to serve people who are not lovely, to, pe to serve people who don't necessarily appreciate what you're doing, that's much harder. And what you do is you call upon God. If you're going to be active in ministry, if you're going to minister, there are many times you're going to have to call upon God and say, Lord, help me. Lord, love this person through me. You do it as with the power of God, by the strength which God supplies. You do it by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. God is glorified through Jesus Christ. This is why I will lift up Jesus Christ all day, every day. You lift up Jesus, God is glorified through this. To whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To Jesus belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And he says, Amen. So he's summarizing this portion. And now he starts a new portion because he starts it in, chap in chapter 4, verse 12 with Beloved. So he's starting a new thought here. New thought. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals among you which come upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Okay, so in verse 12, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which, come, uh, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. So what he does is he says, he commands us, do not be surprised. This is, this is, he says, don't be surprised at fiery, fiery ordeals which come upon you. He says, don't be surprised about this. When believers tell me uh, uh, that they've come to the Lord and all this stuff starts happening in their life, I'm, saying, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I mean, before you were in Satan's camp, he wasn't bothering much with you. Now you want to walk with God, things are going to come against you. Don't be surprised at fiery trials. Don't be surprised that not everyone is welcoming to your new, new thoughts about Jesus. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery trials. In fact, he says, it is normal. It is normal in Christian life. If you're not undergoing fiery trials, then there's a problem. Woe to you, Jesus said, if all men speak well of you. So, for so their fathers, your fathers spoke of the false prophets. He says, don't be surprised at fiery 
that the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing. It is a test. It is a test. It is a good thing to have a test, isn't it? You want to take organic chemistry and never have an exam? I mean, who's going to study? Who would ever study without an exam? Who would ever study? You'd never really learn unless there's a test. You have to have tests. You have to be tested. It's the same thing in Christian life. You have to be tested. The trials are a test. Let's see how you're going to do. Let's see if you understand this. You've been listening on Sundays to this guy speaking. Okay, let's see how you're going to handle this. Let's bring a test in your life. Let's see how you handle this. Don't be surprised when these, these things hit you. He says, they're for your testing. As he says, don't be surprised at the fire ordeal among, which comes among you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. You know, so, so Jesus does not keep us from suffering. He doesn't keep us. In fact, he promotes suffering. He says, anybody who wants to walk godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. I'll tell you what will happen. You start, you, you, you start uh, uh, getting to know a person and you're thinking, well, is this the person I should marry? And, you know, they're really wonderful and everything. The closer you get, sometimes the more troubles you begin to, to see. And all of a sudden when you get engaged, there's all these things just start coming out. And then when you get it married, it's like, I didn't know this about you. And, and uh, just welcome to the real world. I mean, this is what it's like. There are things that happen, but you don't give up. You don't give up because I'm telling you, I've seen it over and over again. The people who walk through these things, the people who say, we are going to stay together, we're going to make this thing work, their lives are so much better, so much better in the long run. And so you make this thing work. Things happen. Things happen in relationships. You start planning a marriage. start planning a wedding. You're going to, there's going to be troubles that pop up in relationships. Real troubles that happen in relationships. These things happen. He says, don't be surprised. Don't act as if some strange thing were happening upon you. He doesn't keep us from suffering. I mean, that never happens where we are kept from suffering. That doesn't happen. We're never kept from suffering. And in fact, Jesus doesn't even, you know, there's many things he doesn't, we don't, we can't expect. You say, well, you know, I deserve a good job. Why do you deserve a good job? I mean, just I, I just want to know, what, what makes you think you deserve a good job? You know how many people in this world don't have a good job? You know how many people in human history have been slaves digging ditches that didn't have a good job? Did they deserve a good job or only you? I'm just wondering. What makes you think you deserve a good job? The Bible only promises us two things. The New Testament only promises us two things in this life. And Jesus didn't even have a home. He didn't have a home. He said in, in, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, he said, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Did you know God doesn't even, doesn't even promise you a home? He doesn't even promise you a home. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, if we have food and clothing, with that we shall be content. The only thing we are promised as believers is food and clothing. If you have a roof over your head, you have an extra blessing. If you have a job, any job, that is an extra blessing. You know how many people in this world are out of work? If you have any job, that is an extra blessing. That is what the New Testament promises you. Only food and clothing if you walk with him. That's the only promise we have. Because there were many, many in history 
who dwelt in caves and hills and holes in the ground. The Bible tells us. And it, it's, it says, of them the world was not worthy. He doesn't keep us from suffering, but what he does is he keeps us from the despair of suffering. There's a lot of suffering in a Christian life, but if you walk with him, you will be kept from the despair of suffering. That is a promise that we are kept from the despair of suffering. We do not have to suffer like the world suffers. All right? So, so let's recalibrate our lives of all the blessings we have. You know how many places you go where you get taught the word of God around the world, where you don't even have a chair to sit on? You don't have a chair. You sit on the ground. You don't have a roof over your head. You're getting bitten up by mosquitoes or in the cold. I mean, there's so many blessings that we have. And he says, don't be surprised about sufferings. Verse 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. I mean, this is an amazing passage. To the degree that you share in the sufferings, you rejoice. In other words, if you're not suffering, you don't have much to rejoice about. You can only rejoice to the degree that you share in the sufferings. I mean, this is an amazing thing. He is saying suffering is so characteristic of the Christian life. And remember, these who he's writing to, he's writing to Messianic Jews, to people, to Jews who had come to know Jesus as Messiah, that, that are, that are in, in this Bithynia region, in this northwest region of, of current-day Turkey and Asia Minor. And so you, you see that he's writing to them, and they're suffering. He says, this is normal. He says, now you get to rejoice. Rejoicing comes through this suffering. To the degree that you suffer in life, rejoice. I get so many women writing to me, about the misery that they're going through with their husbands. The husbands just, you know, they describe these things, and it's like, yeah, I kind of agree with you. I mean, if he says that, if he does that. But it's not, it, 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 it's, uh, um, you know, what am I going to do? I can't deliver them. The Bible gives a prescription for this. It says, to the degree that you undergo suffering, rejoice. There is a rejoicing in this. There's a rejoicing in this, especially if your suffering is due to your walking with Jesus. He, says, he said further down, remember he said in, 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 verse, in verse 15 of that same chapter, make sure none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. So look, if you're suffering just because you murdered somebody yesterday, that's on you. All right? Uh, but he says if you're suffering because of the name of Christ... To the degree that you're suffering, you can rejoice. I mean, he, he takes everything this guy, Peter, writes, everything he writes, and he flips it on its head. He just turns the whole thing around. He just turns it around. He says, that this, this suffering that you're going through, you can rejoice in it. Verse 13, so that at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. That means when Jesus returns, you're going to be able to rejoice extra if you've gone through according to the amount of suffering that you've gone through on earth. There's extra rejoicing upon his return. It's like, wow, Jesus is finally here. He's returned. There's extra rejoicing. Extra rejoicing at the return of Christ. When we, when we, when we, Go, go through these things. All right, now, verse 14. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, 
because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. I don't know, have you ever been reviled for the name of Christ? Have people ever made fun of you because of Jesus in your life? On those instances, you got blessed. God poured out extra blessing. Remember sometime you received something from God, just some blessing, some promotion, some raise, something you're like, wow. That could well have been from the time last year when that person made fun of you because of your Christian life. That's what it says. It says that, that if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. When we are reviled, we are blessed. When we are reviled, we are blessed. So people will say things that will really hurt your feelings, and I've been through it too. You know, People would say things, you know, would you just, just stop being, trying to share with me? And it used to really bother me. You know, I'd, I'd feel like just going and sitting in the corner and sucking my thumb and rocking back and forth and feeling sorry for myself. But now it's like, wow, I just got another blessing. This guy just came against me and I just got another blessing. I just got another blessing. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. You see, if you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. That's what it says. You say, you, well, you, you don't go for that theology. Too bad. It's not, it's, it's not me. Whether you go for it or not, it's written. So it's going to happen. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you will be blessed. This tremendous blessing in walking with Christ and in even taking abuse in his name. And when the internet gets a hold of you, man, it just, all sorts of things get said about you. You're blessed, every one of them. Just, just check off the blessings. Just check off the blessings. Just read all the comments under the YouTube videos. Check, there's another blessing. There's another blessing. That's what it, that's what it says. There's all these blessings that come. And, and uh, it says, it says uh, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You're blessed because the spirit of glory, the spirit, so this, is, this has the definite article, the, the spirit, and that's why spirit here is capitalized. So the whole, because the Holy Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. When the abuse comes, the Holy Spirit and God, that rests on you. So all of a sudden, this attack comes, boom, God pours out more of his spirit on you. That's what it says. That's what it says. So we can get away from our pity party, all that I have to go through, look how miserable my life is, look how terrible my my former husband is making my wife, my life, or my, my, my present husband is making my life. Or, I mean, you can get away from that. If because of Christ, because of the name of Christ, these things are coming against you, you will be blessed. Then he goes on. Verse, verse uh, um, 15, Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, or a thief, or evildoer, or troublesome meddler. He says, just, just make sure you're not suffering for these sort of things. He says, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. There's only three times in the New Testament, only three times in the New Testament where the word Christian is used. Did you know that? Only three times the word Christian is used. And, and this is Christianos. This means Christ follower. And, and uh, only three times. And in every case... 
In, in, so in, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it is used, it is used in, in where, where the Christians were, the, the disciples were called Christians in Antioch. So it was names that they were being called. It was always a derogatory name. It wasn't like going, I'm a Christian. People would, this guy's crazy. I mean, pe- people didn't call themselves that. They were called Christians in Antioch. They were called that name. Uh, uh, um, so so, so uh, um, Paul is witnessing in Acts chapter 26, verse 28 to King Agrippa. Agrippa says, you know, if, if you keep speaking like that, you're going to make me become a Christian. Here, again, it is used by a Gentile in reference saying, you're going to make me become one of these wickedly named people, these Christians. You're going to make me become that. This is the only case where it's used by a, by a believer, Peter, but he's using it as quoting unbelievers. He's saying, he's saying that, that uh, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, if anyone calls you that name Christian, he's using it in the context of saying the unbelievers are calling you that. He says, if anyone calls you a Christian... He is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. He is not to be ashamed, but he's to glorify God in this name. If you go to Israel, that you, you won't you won't see the the uh, the Jews who believe in Jesus calling themselves Christian very often. They generally call themselves believers. And and uh, here you see that this word Christian, it was later that 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 this is being written, he says, if they call you that, he says, don't be ashamed of that, but glorify God in this name. You can glorify God in that name. This was a derogatory name. And he says, you can glorify God in that name. He says, it's okay. Verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So he says, it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. God deals judgment first to his own household. That's the way it ought to be. What would you think of a man... What would you think of a man who goes around telling other people what they should do and he himself does not do it? What would you think of a man who goes around and tells other families, other parents, what, how they should raise their children and he himself won't raise his children that way? What would you think of that man? You'd say that hypocrite. Why don't you just go do this in your own house first and then come and talk to me? That's what God does. He says, I'm going to deal with my own household first. That's a good thing. That is a good thing. I'm going to deal judgment in my own household first. There are things that we did as unbelievers that will cause great problems in our lives if we do as believers. Because the judgment hits us harder. Because God hits his own household with judgment first. You want to try to run around and do what unbelievers do and think it's going to only 
you, you, you know, look, it doesn't, doesn't affect them. Oh, it'll affect you. It will affect you. Your conscience will be just, first thing that happens is your conscience will not let you sleep. You'll wake up in the middle of the night after two hours, you wake up thinking about this thing, and it'll be very hard to sleep. You sit right up in bed like, I've got to deal with this thing. Your conscience will hit you first. And it is a terrible thing to have a bad conscience. I know. Because there's many times in my life I've had it. It's a terrible thing as a believer to have a bad conscience. And you think you can just sweep this thing under the rug like unbelievers. You cannot. You cannot. The Holy Spirit won't let you sweep it under the rug. And he'll just keep kicking that closet door back open again. And it'll come up. And every time you hear a message like this, that door will get kicked open again. You're like, oh, there it is again. You've got to deal with that through repentance. God has made a way, and it's through repentance. Repentance means you confess to God, and you turn around. You confess it to God, and you turn around. A lot of times it means confession to another person, the other party to whom you've offended. Sometimes it means restitution. Paying money, restitution. The Bible, when you stole something, you had to pay restitution in the Old Testament anywhere from four to seven times depending on the offense. It wasn't just, oh, I stole you know, $100 from you, here's your $100 back. No, it was $400 to $700 back depending on the offense. Uh, this, is, this is what restitution is. He deals with the household of God first. This is why if you are in Christian ministry and you start messing around with things like people mess around with, it is big, big problems. When pastors fall because of immorality, their fall is much greater than the fall of people in the world who fall into immorality. People in the world fall into immorality all the time and it's embarrassing and a week later they're over it. People in the ministry fall into immorality. Their life is changed forever. It is a very big deal. It deals with the household of God first. That's the way it ought to be, or we would accuse God of being hypocritical. He deals with his household first. And he says, if I deal with the household, imagine what it's going to be like for the wicked man and the sinner. I mean, there will be a time, and he's speaking of, for these people, he's speaking of, of the 70 AD judgment that's coming the 70 AD judgment. He says if, that uh, uh, the judgment that's going to come upon those people is going to become really hard. But there is a judgment that is coming for everyone in the world, that great white throne judgment that we spoke about last time. There is a judgment coming. And if people think they've gotten away with things, nobody gets away with anything. Let me remind you, nobody gets away with anything. Nobody. Not people in the world not believers. It's just that the believer's uh, outcome comes much faster. Usually comes much faster. That's why we need to live a life of repentance. And, and uh, uh, I go back to God a lot. In fact, I did this morning, asking God to forgive me. Believer's life is different. Then he says in verse 19, Therefore, <clears throat> Those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. He said, you just entrust your soul to a faithful creator. Do what is right. Do what is right. 
The Holy Spirit will reveal that to you. If you have received the Lord, the Holy Spirit reveals to you that which is right, that which is good. Do what is right. Entrust your soul to a faithful creator. I urge you to go back to him. He is so kind and so gracious and say, Lord, forgive me because I've sinned again. Forgive me, Lord. And he is gracious and righteous. He will forgive you. And then say, Lord, help me. Help me. Help me in this. Sometimes it deals with, you have to have an accountability partner. For you young men that are struggling with pornography, I urge you to get an accountability partner and work through that thing. You've heard my testimony. I struggled with pornography for years. God saved me out of that on the day that I got saved. That is very unusual. I don't know anybody else who got delivered from pornography on the day they got saved, but God convicted me of being a sinner through pornography. He showed me his power by delivering me from it the day that I got saved. That is really unusual. Sometimes you need accountability partner, and it's much harder in this generation than it was in my generation because there was no in internet when I was your age. And uh, um, so get an accountability partner. Things that you do. If you're an unbeliever, let me tell you this. You have no ability to overcome sin if you're an unbeliever. Please come and speak to me today. We will get together today. I will share one-on-one -on -one with you. And your life will change today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank and I praise you so much for your mercies and your grace. You are so good. Blessed be your name. Lord, I pray for these young people that they would endure in suffering and that they would, they would see that they're receiving blessings, blessings upon blessings every time they suffer for the name of Christ. And Lord, I pray for the, those that are feeling conviction because of sin that they would readily go back to you because you are faithful, that they would trust their soul to a faithful creator because Jesus is so kind. He has paid the price for that sin, that they would go back and to call upon that. And Father, I pray for the unbelievers that you would save a soul today. Lord, save a soul and let Jesus Christ be glorified. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.